0: Hello and welcome to Hallrender's Practical Solutions in Healthcare podcast. This episode is part of our ongoing series called Critical Considerations for Virtual Care and we will be focusing on value-based enterprise, how and where value-based enterprise intersects with the concept of virtual care.
1: My name is Chris Eads, I'm a shareholder here at Hall Render and a member of our firm's virtual care team. I'm joined today by my fellow shareholder, Alyssa James, who has particular knowledge and experience with value-based enterprise. So Alyssa, before we dive in, uh, why don't you tell us a little more about you and your practice?
0: Thanks, Chris. Um, As Chris mentioned, my name is Alyssa James. I'm a shareholder in Hall Render's Indianapolis office. Uh, My practice focuses primarily on fraud and abuse and regulatory compliance type matters. I work primarily with hospitals and health systems, as well as other types of healthcare organizations on various provider contracting matters, transactions amongst various healthcare organizations, and more complex Stark Law, anti-kickback statute, and civil monetary penalty beneficiary inducement related analyses. In the current value-based landscape, I also work with clients to help them navigate these regulatory frameworks when implementing value-based risk sharing and other related arrangements.
1: Great, thanks, Alyssa. So when when I look at and and think about uh, value-based enterprise at a a very high level, 10,000 foot view, um, to me, there seems to be some clear overlap with the potential advantages of, of virtual care. You know we've certainly seen those advantages unfold over the pandemic. I think it started with the the most obvious, which is the fact that virtual care allows distance in between provider and uh, and patient, uh, which has had some some obvious advantages uh, during the state of emergency. but, We're also starting to realize, I think, some of the other advantages of virtual care, such as uh, better and increased care coordination, better means of patient follow-up, even even following up with the patient in the patient's home, uh, remote patient monitoring, general efficiencies to be gained. And and really all of these benefits strike me as very much in line with uh, the operative definition for for value-based purpose. And so I, I do think it makes sense to, to really talk about VBE in the context of virtual care. And with that in mind, maybe, maybe we could start with you um, providing just uh, uh, kind of a general understanding or giving us a general understanding of, of what we even mean when we're talking about value-based enterprise.
0: Of course. Um, So when we're looking at a potential value-based opportunity, I like to frame kind of the various definitions in terms of a who, what, when, where, why, how. Under this type of analysis, the VBE or value-based enterprise itself is the who. VBEs must consist of at least two participants. Those participants can be either an individual or an entity that engages in at least one value-based purpose um, and collaborate with each other to achieve those value-based purposes. When we're talking about value-based purposes, those can be one of four things, coordinating and managing care for a target patient population, improving the quality of care for a target patient population, appropriately reducing costs and payer expenditures without reducing the quality of care to the target patient population, and or transitioning from a volume-based care delivery system and payment mechanism to value-based. You all may also be wondering kind of what a target patient population is. And I know I jumped sort of from value-based enterprise to value-based participant. When we begin to scratch the surface of the relevant value-based frameworks, the definitions get a bit cyclical because each definition refers to other terms that are defined by the regulations. So, so bear with me here a little bit as, as we kind of get into this. Um, but as I was saying, so the value-based enterprise has to be engaged in in trying to achieve at least one of those value based purposes that I just mentioned. So, in essence, a VBE is a consortium of individuals such as physicians or or others, and or entities, for example, hospitals, physician practices, or other healthcare organizations. A VBE does not have to be a separate legal entity, um, but it does need to have an accountable body that's in control of the VBE. So. You don't have to go out and, and you know form a new legal entity or or a true joint venture, so to speak, but but you do have to kind of come together through a contractual arrangement and, and allocate who is going to be responsible kind of for governing matters of that value-based enterprise as it works to achieve its goals. So so Alyssa, if
1: we distill that down a bit, how, how would you summarize the general steps required to establish a BBE?
0: So at a high level, when we're looking at this, in order to form a VBE, you need to identify the following. Um, You need to identify who the players are going to be. So, you know, who your value-based participants are in that VBE. Um, You need to identify the target patient population for which the VBE wants to focus its efforts. So a target patient population can be very broad. It could be, you know, all the patients in your health system or all the patients that are discharged from a particular hospital, or it can be very narrowly tailored to a certain diagnosis, a certain zip code, um that sort of thing. And and when we're looking at that kind of in that who, what, when, where framework, the target patient population is is the where. So where where are we focusing our efforts? Um the why would be those value-based purposes that the VBE is going to strive to achieve. And then the how is you know, what activities is the VBE going to engage in in order to try to move that ball forward to to have that impact on the care coordination or or other value-based activities for that patient population. Once you kind of identify all of those things, the who, what, when, where, why, then the parties need to enter into one or more value-based arrangements that, that sort of spell out those goals of the VBE, you know, any compensation that's going to flow between the parties and other details of the arrangement um, and and kind of how it's structured and, and how it's going to be implemented.
1: So VBE is obviously a relatively new concept. At this point, have you seen health systems, hospitals, or other healthcare providers actively pursuing VBEs or otherwise engaging this process?
0: So we've been fielding numerous inquiries from clients who are looking to what I'll call kind of explore the art of the possible with respect to the VBE framework. I think folks are very excited about it. They're, they're wanting to kind of see what, what this framework allows them to do as far as a care coordination collaboration standpoint and how they can really focus in on some of these target patient populations, so to speak of that are applicable to, to their organization and, and you know, better that care coordination and and patient outcomes. In addition to the creation of VBEs more specifically, I think that these applicable Stark law exceptions and AKS safe harbors that have been implemented under this, this construct are leading providers and other healthcare organizations to just generally evaluate other types of risk sharing arrangements or patient incentives that, that may or may not require, you know, the kind of the formal formation of a VBE, but but fit within that same spirit and, and framework as as care continues to shift from from a more volume based to a value based model.
1: So, so if we take really that piece of the conversation in terms of what you've seen, and we talk maybe a little more about where this intersects with with virtual care, I know that I've seen as part of my practice. Uh, the concept of VBE come into play potentially in relation to, or at least a precursor to uh, the provision of telemedicine equipment and platforms by maybe a distant uh, site telemedicine provider uh, to an originating site uh, location that's going to be receiving those services. Can you maybe speak to kind of ha- how how you might see that come into play in the context of a VBE or maybe some of the potential benefits there
0: Sure so so in addition to you know the compensation arrangements that may be directly associated kind of with that VBE's value based arrangements there are certain AKS safe harbors kind of a little bit outside of that VBE framework that do lend themselves I think to to various virtual health activities For example, there's a new AKS Safe Harbor for care coordination arrangements that improve quality health outcomes and efficiencies. Um, This Safe Harbor allows for the provision of in-kind remuneration, so so not monetary compensation, but but in-kind remuneration amongst VBE participants. So you do still have to form a VBE in order to utilize this AKS Safe Harbor, but under this Safe Harbor, the recipient of this in-kind remuneration can receive something from another VBE participant in the VBE the recipient is required to pay at least 15% of the offerer's costs for that remuneration but even so i think this safe harbor may provide significant flexibility for the provision of you know virtual health or telemedicine equipment or software or even staff maybe for that originating site you know if they need a technician or nurse or something to that effect to just kind of help help the virtual health platform operate. I think those are all options here under this safe harbor for this VBE to kind of you know lend lend some of those things to other participants.
1: Alyssa, do you see other potential intersections between VBE and virtual care?
0: I do. So I, I think the intersection here is is ripe for opportunity. I think as we're beginning to scratch the VBE surface, we're also sort of beginning to just sort of unravel what what opportunities are available. Um, But in addition to opportunities amongst VBE participants, which Chris, I know you and I have touched on a little bit already, I think there are other increased opportunities for providing items and services to increase patient engagement, which of course is a is a very important component of care coordination, right? We can we can coordinate as much as we want, but if if the patients aren't buying in or aren't able to access care, it doesn't it doesn't get us very far. And so, for example, there's another um, new AKS safe harbor for arrangements for patient engagement specifically. This safe harbor is also only available to VBE participants, but it allows the VBE participants to provide in-kind items, goods, and services to patients that are valued up to $500 per patient per year for various patient engagement activities. So typically when we're talking about items or services that you can provide to patients, specifically Medicare or Medicaid beneficiaries, civil monetary penalties law is much more limiting than that from a dollar value standpoint. Um, But this AKS Safe Harbor, allows VBE participants to provide items or services up to $500 per patient, which is huge, I think. And I think that these items and services, although they're required to have a direct connection to the coordination and management of care of that target patient population that we talked about a little bit earlier, I think it can be a great way to provide maybe necessary technology to patients in order to facilitate their ability to access these virtual care platforms, whether that's a tablet or or, you know, increase Wi-Fi in their home or, you know, something to that effect too. I think there's a lot of opportunities here to make sure that not just that the providers have what they need for this virtual healthcare platform, but that, that the patients that we're trying to reach do too. And so I think that these safe harbors give a lot of flexibility to VBEs beyond just kind of their, what's within the four corners of their um, value-based arrangements amongst each other.
1: That's a that's a great thought, and that's and that will no doubt um, increasingly come into to, to play. So I appreciate that information. So really, at this point, Alyssa, if, if a health system or a hospital or other type of healthcare provider is interested in pursuing a value-based enterprise, what what initial steps would you recommend?
0: So I think the first steps are, are really to think critically about who you want to include, both as fellow participants in your value-based enterprise, as well as what patient populations do you really want to target? Do you want to have some sort of broad, broadly defined target patient population? Do you want to, at, at the outset at least, just focus on a couple of more specific subgroups of patients, whether that's by disease state or comorbidity or, or something to that effect, The other thing to keep in mind is, is an organization or individual can enter into multiple VBEs and value-based arrangements. And so maybe it makes sense to partner with a few folks on, on one patient population, but then for a different patient population, maybe it makes sense to, to strategically partner with others. So something to keep in mind there, just kind of really brainstorming who, who you want to be involved in, and what patient population you want to target. And from there, I think, you know, developing a plan for the actual arrangement construct and, and corresponding incentives that will follow, um, you know, more of your, your contract terms and, and things like that. Depending upon the nature of the arrangement, there are different Stark Law exceptions and or AKS safe harbors that will be applicable and each have their own kind of specific set of, of as you may imagine, of criteria that must be met in order to meet the exception or safe harbor so, so once you kind of get that general idea of, of what the goals are and what you're trying to achieve, really then kind of putting pen to paper and, and cross-checking that with the applicable exceptions or safe harbors to make sure that that this arrangement is going to be in compliance with this new framework. The more, just generally speaking, the the more significant the finan- downside financial risk that the each participant has, the fewer restrictions or burdens you could say there are on on the VBE and its participants value based arrangements that don't have a lot of downside financial risk are going to have a lot more obligations put on the participants such as monitoring and documenting and and what all is required to be in writing and annual reevaluations of whether you're meeting those metrics and and that sort of goes without saying, right, that the, the less the downside risk, the more the government, so to speak, is going to kind of make you have to do to prove that that you're not abusing any sort of relationship there. So, But just something to keep in mind to make sure that you're hitting all of those elements that are required for compliance purposes.
1: Thank you, Alyssa. That's, that's helpful information. Uh, to our audience, I think we'll conclude there for today. Thanks for joining us. Uh, if you or your organization have questions or topics you would like uh, to share with us, please contact us on our website at hallrender.com or certainly feel free to reach out to me at cedes, C-E-A-D-E-S, at hallrender.com or Alyssa at A-James, A-J-A-M-E-S, at hallrender.com. Uh, as always, please remember that the views expressed in this podcast are those of the participants only and do not constitute legal advice. Thanks so much.
0: Thank you, everyone.